me. I don't eat junk food. Hello and welcome to I Can't Believe It's Not the Mouse, the podcast all about animated features not made by Disney. I'm your host, Octaviano Macias, and today, well, you know, I wanted to do something else, something a little more special, but things happen, so instead, I'll be doing this. I'm going to be talking about an animated feature that I've been wanting to talk about for a while, but have not really had the chance to do so. It's a pretty big one. It's one of the more popular ones. It's one that many often credit as one of the factors that led to other studios outside of Disney becoming um, successful in the animation field in the in the U.S. And that would be Ice Age. Now, before going into it, I just want to point out that if you follow my stuff for, you know, years, back when I used to write blogs, I did actually write a piece on the Ice Age franchise. I didn't go back to read it for this. The only reason why I bring it up is pretty much because it was a big, like, okay, what went wrong with the Ice Age franchise? And one of the few things that I do remember writing about it is that I asserted that maybe it was always bad, and it were at least not that good. And I just want to say that I want to retract that kind of, um, that pretty much that theory. Because, look, while I will say that the Ice Age movies did start to decline as they got more sequels, I do feel like maybe I'm getting this a bit wrong. And, and I'll get into it um, as I talk about this movie specifically. I, I don't know. It, it just, just feels like, okay, even if this one was not as good as some people thought it was, it, it still feels like it's kind of a shitty way to say, oh, the reason why this series sucks is because it was never good to begin with. There was had to be some reason why it caught people's attention. Because that's the thing, is like, regardless of how bad a series or whatever, like a movie series, a game series or whatever, something that you don't like, maybe, you have to consider that, okay, if it is popular, it's connecting to people, connecting with people for some reason and it's worth exploring why that reason is more so than just saying well it was a shitty and people are stupid so going at it from that perspective i felt like okay how can i look at this and say that especially after having watched rewatched this this first movie and in, in years and i feel like when i wrote that i only saw it in parts and didn't really sit down to watch it all um so i, I don't know I, I just feel like that that article that i wrote was maybe not fair and maybe uh you know, maybe it was, but honestly, you know, from what I remember putting in, it isn't. Now, in terms of the sequels, I will eventually get around to doing those. I will say that I do kind of stand with one of the things that I do remember writing was like, okay, the sequels um, all pretty much had the same issue of like, okay, we're doing like this end of the world scenario. It's the end of the Ice Age because they do that for Ice Age the Meltdown. The third one with the dinosaurs, they actually don't do it, but, you know, whatever. It's still, like, this big, epic thing. Um, the fourth one, the continents start splitting apart. The fifth one, um, the asteroids are coming in to destroy the Earth. So there's, like, there's, there's constant end-of-the-world scenario that is, like, uh, prevalent through the sequels when you're, like, this, the original movie was just a simple, okay, we gotta get this baby to its family, the end. And that was the charm to it. Um, it is the, the thing that was so charming, Rewatching this and seeing, like, yeah, this is actually a fairly good movie. It, it is still, like, it still has some stuff that I'm like, eh, that's not so great. But for the most part, I'm like, there is a lot of charm in this. And a lot of that is lost in the sequels. And part of that is because with the first movie, you get the feeling that, okay, this was a studio barely starting out. So there was a lot more freedom to what they were doing. But also, um, it, it just felt like, okay, it's the scrappy 
um, young studio that's trying their best to do something pleasing. Like, not all of it works, but it, it does feel like they're at least trying. Whereas when she gets to the sequels, since this thing became a mega hit, you know, they got more money to burn and it's less about like, okay, we're trying to put out something special and more about like, okay, we got to put out more adventures with these characters because, you know, families like them and, you know, we, we got to sell it. And, I mean, I can't say I, I totally disrespect that. I get that. You know, if you make something that sells, by all means, sell it. But, you know, there is a loss in quality because of that. And that kind of sucks. But yeah, yeah that's my general thing. Again, I will get into the sequels because, granted, I haven't seen these movies uh, in, in a while. But I do remember at least having some, some enjoyment on the second one, some enjoyment on the third one. I, I know that they were trash, but... You know, they did have their moments where it's like, okay, they're trying at least. It's a little bit of fun. By the fourth one, I just, you know, it, it just drifted away. The fifth one was pretty much just there. Like, the only thing that really saves the sequels um, consistently is Scrat, it's, uh, Scrat himself. The the little uh, scroll, prehistoric scroll that eats, you know, well, not, not really eats. He did eventually eat it because, you know, I'm recording this right after um, Blue Sky finally released, like, the final thing that they did, which is a bit where Scratch finally gets that nut. But, um, yeah, that was, you know, cute. And it, it honestly sucks that they had to go the way they did just because Disney bought them off. But, you know, hey, whatever. It happens. But, yeah, that's the one thing that was consistent throughout the sequels is that Scratch was always funny. So, I, at the very least, on that front, I'm like, okay, I get why some people might pay to watch these movies because it's like look even if it's just 10 minutes scrap um short against the you know 90 minute movie at the very least that's a very funny short mvp of the, the ice age franchise but going back to, to to ice age one what exactly made the first ice age so special and i i like to think of it as it being what um, was said to one of the writers who, because like one of the writers who ended up writing the, the sequels as well. So I don't know, I guess, you know, definitely it was a whole money thing. Uh, but one of the writers was like, look, I can't write for this. I, I don't write for kids movies. And basically Fox was just like, well, then don't write for a kids movie, write it you know, write a good good movie. And you can see that because even though this is definitely a family movie, it's something that you can take your kids to watch. It's the kind of thing where it's like the characters are all talking and acting in ways that you would find like in an adult movie or what some people would consider adult movies. Because that's the thing. It's like a lot of people are weird about what's considered to be an adult movie. I mean, of course, they're the ones that are mainly for adults. But in terms of you'll have... Movies that are like, you know, I know this, them. I love the Avengers, you know, for example. Um, I love the Avengers movies. I love the Fast and Furious movies. But those, at their heart, would be considered kids' movies if they were animated. But because they're live action, with, you know, all the action and the comedy and all that stuff, it gets turned into a, you know, a movie that's okay for adults to watch. And that's kind of where this one is at. Like, if you were to make it live action with actual people, and they kind of did, because realistically, this is just a remake. Not a one-to-one, -one, but it, it, it is essentially a remake of Three Men and a Baby. There's literally three men and a baby, only they're animals now. And most people would be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, a movie that, you know, grown-ups can watch. Even though kids can watch it too. And that's, that's the thing is, you got a lot of movies that, you know, would be considered grown-up movies that kids can watch. I mean, for example, I saw Citizen Kane, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest movie, according to some people, uh, of all time. As a kid, I was like 9 or 10 years old when I seeked that out because I was a big fan of cinema. And yeah, people, you know, wouldn't say like, oh, that's a movie for kids, even though there's nothing really wrong for it for a kid to watch. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, kids won't 
Well, Voldegar, that's true, but that's true of anything. And that's kind of where how this movie plays out is that uh, with a lot of the dialogue and the way the characters act, it's like, yeah, as a kid, you see goofy animals saying goofy shit, but, but as an adult, you actually find a lot of charm in the way they... they they, they talk to each other because it's um, done in a way where it doesn't feel like it's dumbing itself uh, itself down. Like, of course, none of the characters are saying anything that's really inappropriate, but you're like, okay, I see what you're saying now. Like, you know, with Sid, you know, acting kind of horny early on, like, you know, like he, you know, tries to hook up with some chicks with, with the baby. And then, um, yeah, Manny basically trying to tell him, like, hey, look, you know, if you find a girl, you know, you hold on to her and be, you know, you be dear to her. Don't just, you know, swing around with any any lady. And it's like, okay, yeah, as a kid, you know, that some of that stuff does register, but for the most part, once you're an adult, that's when you fully start realizing, oh, okay, that's what they're saying. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's generally it. It's just that it is you know, filled with good writing. Like, even though this movie, of course, has the scrap bits and they're actually more toned down than the sequels do because outside of the the opening and the ending, most of the scrap bits are just quick, like, 10-second um, non-sequiturs. Like, they're, they're like, okay, end of scene. Here's the little, you know, scrat and he's doing something stupid or occasionally he encounters the, the main characters and it's you know, just for a quick gag. But realistically, it, it's not like the sequels where there's like almost a whole short story around his character going throughout because it's just the opening. And I, I know partially because that's because he was added in um, more throughout the movie because of test screenings where people really liked the intro with him. So they're like, okay, we got to put him in more of the movie. But yeah, it's... It's, you know, the Scratch stuff is, is funny, but it doesn't, um, it's not saving the movie like it does for the sequels. Because you do find a lot of charm in these characters and how they bond with each other. Um, you have Manny, the, the mammoth, who's voiced by Ray Romano. Great in it. John Leguizamo as Sid. Again, great. And I, I can totally understand why he would want to do more of these just because it is a fun character and, you know, the voice that he, he creates out of it is, is fun. Diego, voiced by Dennis Leary, who's probably the one that, yeah, maybe, you know, as much as, you know, like, I, I got nothing against Dennis Leary in, the, uh, in this, but maybe it was right for the, the, the people behind us to kill his character off. Because originally, and the movie kind of makes more sense once you see it from that perspective. Originally, his character was not supposed to live at the the end. Um, he was supposed to sacrifice himself, and that would be it. But Dennis Leary convinced the people that, like, hey, no, you should live. You know, kids would, would be sad if he, if he died, which I get his standpoint. I'm not... Um, um, saying that I don't get a standpoint um, on that. It's just that once you get to the sequels, it kind of feels like, okay, he has less and less to do um, compared to the other characters, at least from what I remember. Because, yeah, like the second movie, it's like, okay, so with that, it's like, oh, he has a fear of water, and that's kind of what his arc is. The third one is like, oh, he doesn't feel like he's a predator anymore, um, which... I mean, you know, I, that's actually not a bad arc to have, but it feels kind of like a repeat of what happened in 2, only this time instead of being scared of water, he's scared of, you know, losing his touch. Uh, by the fourth one, he hooks up with a girl, and then by the fifth one, it's like, I don't even remember what Diego adds to the fifth one. And again, it's not even that I'm trying to trash the character or the actor. I mean, I, I you know, I, I do get, you know, again, the Nisleri's standpoint um, on that uh, regarding the first movie, but... I don't know, I just feel like in the sequels, he starts to add less and less that it, it becomes, 
like, okay, maybe it would have worked out better if he hadn't um, survived, but, you know, it, it is what it is, and it's not like it's a terrible character, it's just, and, and for, for the most part, in this first movie, even though it's pretty noticeable, like, okay, yeah, he wasn't supposed to survive because he kind of disappears for the last few minutes and then reappears, but it, it makes for a cute ending anyway, so I wouldn't complain too much about it, it's just something that I would say, like, maybe it would have, but yeah, it's like, it is a really good cast that you got in here. I know there's, like, the the villain uh, group that, that Diego is a part of, the Sabertooth Tigers, who are led by, um you know, like, a vicious leader. They're, I mean, they're, they're serviceable. They're not great characters, but they're not anything that, you know, hurts the movie in any, any specific way. One of the things that I did find weird watching it um, this time around was realizing, like, wait a second, one of the, 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 the villain sidekicks, the, the crazy one, is Jack Black, and I had to look it up because I was like, okay, that voice sounds familiar. It sounds like Jack Black, but it could be just a voice actor doing the Jack Black impression because I've heard a few that have done it pretty well. And then I look it up and I find out, like, oh, no, it's actually Jack Black. He did a voice in this, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. You would think that he would, one, play a bigger character, and two, he would be uh, mentioned more for, for, for the cast, but no, I mean, I guess this is before he really took off um, in the mainstream, but it, it's still just weird looking at it from that perspective. Still, you know, it, it, it's a it's a good voice performance, and realistically, the voice performances in this are, are, are really solid. Again, as I've said earlier, the, the whole movie is pretty much just a very simple, okay, we find a baby, we gotta go take it back home to its parents, and... And part of that simplicity is that a lot of the movie feels like little vignettes. Like, up up until you get to the baby, you get little stories like, okay, here's Sid um, taunting some, you know, prehistoric rhino creatures. Here's Manny defending him. Here's them hanging out. And it gives you a lot of their character um, just right there without actively telling you what exactly it is. Because that's, that's another thing that I found charming about this movie, watching it again, is that a lot of the character work is done just by the characters acting without them actually telling you what exactly their deal is. Like, especially with Manny, which is the one, one of the things that is definitely ruined in the sequel. Manny pretty much is like okay you know he's alone he doesn't want to be you know he doesn't want to be around people other animals acknowledge like hey that's weird for a mammoth and you never really get a full idea of like okay what exactly is why he is he alone and as the story goes along you start to get an idea like okay him talking about how you know men should be loyal to their girls protecting you know like the herd and whatnot, you start to get an idea of like, okay, so he's clearly, he, he did have an experience with a herd and you get this whole beautiful sequence with, with Kate paintings where he basically remembers what essentially was his family and seeing them get killed by, by people. So it's like, okay, that's great. And, and of course it adds a layer to his character because early on he even mentions like, look, I can, you know, I understand that um, creatures got to eat for the food chain and whatnot, but um, if you're just killing for pleasure, that's where my issue la- lies. So that kind of feels like it, 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 it's built upon, um, the whole human thing. Because, of course, he's trying to take this baby back to the humans. And he, it's not like he's even fully against it. Like, of course, at first he's hesitant to do it. But, uh, as it goes along, he, he does, like, okay, he's gonna do this regardless of whether or not if, if there's a danger to him so that's kind of neat which of course the, the whole baby thing ties into Diego's story as well where Diego has to get it for his leader because the leader pretty much is like okay well these humans killed one of our own so we you know we got to do a, an eye for an eye and you know let's get his baby and kill and kill it just to you know, get get some proper revenge 
Of course, Diego eventually um, betrays um, his group because he starts to bond with the, the you know Manny and and Sid. And this is one area where I think it, it is kind of um, kind of messy in that in terms of him bonding with the two characters, that's actually fairly well done in the movie. What isn't as well done is that you don't see enough reason in terms of him. Um, hating his group and realistically you don't need it too much but I don't know I feel like a, a better story would have at least acknowledged like okay while he was working for for the villain maybe the villain was more abusive or maybe fully established that that Diego was pretty much already on his last legs with the group like you know maybe he's you know they're, they're ready to get rid of him so that would kind of give like a re- more motivation for him to um, eventually leave because as it is in story it's just like okay so he's given this task he kind of messes it up but tries to to redeem himself and then he decides you know he has a change of heart which again it's fine in the way it's done because you at least do see him bonding with the the main characters but you do get a sense of like maybe in a better story you would have gotten more of an idea of like yeah this this group was bad you know really bad for him and while it's not entirely necessary it, it certainly helps in creating this arc for him for as to why he would eventually do what he does I, I think, anyways, I, I don't know. It, it, it does work for what it is. I, I just feel like it could have been done a little better. And while we're talking about the characters, you know, what's uh, just to get, get back to him, like, I think it's a really great performance. John Quazama definitely sells it. Uh, from what I read, it seems to be that that was probably the hardest character that they had to nail down because originally they wanted him to be more of a con artist, and you can actually see deleted scenes of this, like if you have the DVD, where he's more, more of an asshole character, so he wasn't as likable. And that didn't really register to me uh, as a kid, but watching it as an adult is like, okay, yeah, I could see hints of that in the movie because you do get the whole bit with, with him trying to hook up with two ladies and whatnot, but it is trimmed down enough where it um is just gone because there's even a, like a whole subplot that was trimmed out where there was like a love interest character that he didn't really like, but she liked him and she was constantly following him around. And yeah, I definitely get why that, that was cut. It, it, it just doesn't add anything to what what relatively is a, a charming story. And, and that's definitely an area where I'm like, yeah, they made, definitely made the right call here because John Leguizamo, you know, does sell the voice well and he, he definitely would have made it well with with the like the schemey you know kind of character but you could tell that it, it probably wouldn't have been as likable but yeah it, it's just a really funny movie there's a lot of great gags there's a whole bit with dodos that is definitely funny as a kid because it's got all the hijinks but it's even funnier as an adult when you realize like okay yeah these things went extinct you realize that okay you know everyone sees them actually crack crackpots because they're acknowledging like okay yeah the ice is not going anywhere and just like all the, the little things that they do to screw up like they're pretty much dead the second one of the characters mentions like oh yeah there goes the last female so it's like oh they're gone <laughs> and you know thing about the eyes that's the interesting thing about this movie is that outside of the, the scrat intro which apparently you know one of the major reasons why they they added that in was because when you watch the movie it takes a good chunk like a, almost half an hour or so for them to actually start reaching icy locations because at the start of the movie it, it does match like okay we're migrating um to where it's warmer because right now it's starting to get cold so um this is not going to be good you know for us so you do get a, a whole thing where it's like okay here's some some land and then it slowly starts adding more and more snow which i thought was kind of neat and i didn't really pick up as much as a kid just because you know you're mostly focused on you know the animals and whatnot so you don't realize that uh 
that snow is building and building to the point that it's a complete ice land by the end of the movie. But yeah, that, that's kind of neat. And in terms of the animation, it's definitely something where it's like, yeah, you could tell this, this was made by a scrappy, fresh studio. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it doesn't hold up that too well. Like, I, you know, in terms of CG stuff from around that same period, I would definitely say this is one that looks more outdated and, of course, it, it doesn't really hold up compared to a lot of other stuff now. But for the most part, there is some things that are still kind of neat to look at. One of the things I will say with Blue Sky, and I don't know if a lot of other people share the sentiment, but I, I, I feel like Blue Sky was really great at animating animals. Not that other studios aren't, but I don't know. I always got this feeling like with Blue Sky that they really did study in on how animals move. Because you'd notice that a lot of animals, like, move in a way where it's like, yeah, that feels like the actual animal. Like, when you see uh, Manny walking, it feels like an actual elephant. The way, like, the, the saber-toothed tigers um, walk, you know, feels kind of cat-like, even if it's a little janky at times. Even Seth has a nice little move to him that I know is definitely not sloth-like, but it's, uh, you know, a fun cartoon look look for it. I don't know. That's the one thing that I feel like um, Blue Sky definitely excelled at because I know, it's, and especially is noticeable with, with, like, the real movies where the birds really do feel like they're, you know, birds, um, more so than a lot of other studios that, that do um, birds, like, in their animation. Like, it, it just feels like, yeah, the, the way the bone structure um, moves, the way the, like, you know, like the fur or the feathers or whatever, you know, move on the characters. Like, it feels the way it should um, for these creatures. So that's one thing I... I do think still holds up pretty well on this. Like, even though there's some jankiness with some of the animals and some of the characters, it's um, definitely there. And I like how this movie does, um, more so than the sequels, try to incorporate some silent moments into the into the, the story so it just lets the animation speak for itself, especially with the humans. They could have had the humans talking like the, the animals, but instead they made the choice of keeping them silent. So you got, you know, even though it's brief moments with the humans, it's all nice little moments where they're like, you know, looking around and you kind of get an idea of what they're saying despite their emotions, even though, you know, the humans are definitely not well animated in this. But, you know, the fact that you can tell what, like, say, um, the baby's father is thinking when he's looking around and whatnot, I think that's kind of neat. It is something that's pretty successful about this. So, yeah, Ice Age, funny movie. It's got a great cast. It is well written. Um, the animation isn't perfect, but for what it, what it's worth, it does hold up pretty well. I don't know. I, I just dug it a lot more than I remember um, when I saw it as a kid, seeing it years ago, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see why this was a special thing. And I could actually see how sequels could have worked for this, is just that they ended up constantly doing this end-of-the-world scenario and focusing on adding a bunch of characters, adding love interest to those characters, and it, it's just like, mm, I don't know, you lost the charm of how this movie was allowed to be quiet at some times. It was allowed to be adults just talking like adults, even if they weren't, you know, saying swears or saying things that were inappropriate in front of kids, they are talking like adults. You, you lost a lot of the, like the, like the subtlety from the characters in terms of how their, their arc progresses. The only thing that you really kept and further enhanced was just Scrat itself, which great, great Scrat is, is a funny character, but it would have been nice if they could have kept these characters as being, you know, as well done as they were here. So, I don't know. I'll do the sequels uh, someday. I'm not going to do it right away. But I, I do hope that there is more charm than I, I, I'm giving it credit for. I'm hoping that 2 and 3 hold up in some way for me. 4 and 5, the last times I saw it, I didn't really like it. But maybe I find something new. But at the very least, for this first one, 
undeniable, great movie. I can understand why this and Shrek are often credited as the movies that, you know, prove that other studios could succeed um, outside of Disney. It was pretty much like a one-two punch. And yeah, you know, obviously, you know, most people have watched it, but if you haven't, watch it. If you've watched it, um, but it's been years, watch it again. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it, it's just a really solid movie. So I just want to say thank you for listening. This has been October Macias. I hope you see me again next time. Thank you for coming on and listening to me today. If you enjoyed it, you can always subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can follow my podcast. It's on Podbean, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support me even more, there's always the option of Patreon. Patreon is a great way to support artists. And with that, you can always put in a dollar or even more. It's all up to you. All just to help produce the show and other things I may do. Thank you again. And I hope to see you in the coming future.